I'd like to uh, just have a quick word of prayer, and then I will get into um, the word and also testimony this afternoon. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for all that we've experienced here in this place, Lord, this weekend. The Holy Spirit truly has been present. Oh, but Lord, we desire more of your Holy Spirit and more of your presence here. And so I pray that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit once again upon your people, Lord. We're just going to keep on asking for that gift that you so... Um, that you're so willing to bestow and to give to us. Lord, I pray that now that you would just speak your word through me, that you would speak life. According to Isaiah 55 verse 11, we are told that your word will go forth and it will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. Father, I pray that your power will be manifested and that the power of the Holy Spirit will be present here in this place. Lord, please Draw us to Jesus and may he be lifted up. I pray that he will be on display here this afternoon and also this evening and all throughout the rest of this time together as a family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'd like to share with you um, about, first of all, I just want to say that um, before I get to, to that is I was so blessed by Miranda and uh, her, her uh, mission um, focus on mission and her missionary story and her experience and praise God praise God for young people who are who are being used by Jesus to have an impact Amen. all over the world aren't you aren't you excited about that Amen. you know when I hear young men and young women um, sharing the word of God and sharing their testimony it tells me that that Joel chapter 2 is being fulfilled and that God indeed is pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. Um, and, and beloved, I want to share with you that God has so much in store, so much more in store for us. And I pray that one of my pastors that I pray with every single night said that the most untapped resource is the Holy Spirit. And, and the, the, problem with the, the problem that we have as a church is we're really trying to operate and work in our own strength and in our own power. And you see the results. Uh, but when the Holy Spirit is at work, I want to share with you that there are, there are amazing, amazing results with the Holy Spirit. And so today, this afternoon, I'm going to share with you darker the night, brighter the light. And it's going to be a focus and emphasis on mission along with my, with my testimony and that of others. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And also in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, you have, you know, those four, those four vignettes, I call it. I like to call it those four vignettes where you have the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and... Two lost boys. All of, us, all of us know this. One was lost out in the world and the other one was lost in the house. And so, and it's interesting because when you, look at the, when you look at the parable of the lost sheep, the lost sheep leaves the fold and wanders off from the fold and the lost coin is lost where, everybody? In the house. And then Christ masterfully combines the two 
with his final story with the lost son that wandered out into the world and then the lost boy at home. And so what I'm, what I'm trying to share with you is that regardless of whether or not we are in the world and doing things in the world or even in the church, there's a lot of lost people in both. And so, beloved, I pray that we would join in with Christ in his mission and have his heart for saving the lost and expanding and growing the kingdom of God. And I praise God for all the opportunities that I've had um, in ministry from Hawaii and all the other places that I've traveled to. Um, I remember um, when I was out there in Hawaii and how the Lord just caused a, a revival to take place in 1996 where a group of us got together and we began to pray, united prayer, praying for revival and the Holy Spirit to fall. And sure enough, God blessed and the Holy Spirit fell and revival took place. And I want to share with you that it just sent a, uh, the, the whole island of Hawaii ablaze. And there were so many people that came out from that revival who are still doing a great part of the Lord's work in all the world. And I'm going to show you that. I'm going to show you some of that this afternoon because I believe wholeheartedly that God has called us, beloved. God has called this, called us for mission and to go out and to do and be involved and engaged in his mission of saving souls. You know, I often wonder, um, in fact, I'm going to just turn there right now to the gospel of Luke chapter 15. And I just, I just want to, I want to use this as a reminder and I'm thankful and grateful for it. Um, Luke chapter 15. As I shared with you earlier, um, I praise God for what he has done for me personally in my life. Um, rescuing me from a lot of stuff that I was involved in and engaged in when I was younger. Um, I'll share with you that if you, I, I, would, I, would, I would probably be just... Um, you know, totally unrecognizable because of the, the way that I used to, to dress and the way that I used to speak and talk. But again, when God gets a hold of your life, though, <laughs> man, he does something. He does something miraculously, miraculous and powerfully powerful with your life. No matter regardless of again, regardless of where you come from, your family, your background, um, what's been going on in your family. I got news for you today. I got good news Jesus is able to help you, and he's able to, to save from the guttermost to the uttermost. Would you say amen? amen? And I praise God for that. But notice what it says in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, and this is, this is uh, what it says here. Beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Let me, let me read that again. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him, to hear Jesus. And the Adventists, I mean, I'm sorry, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. <laughs> you know, one thing I'm thankful for is Jesus is a friend of sinners. And I think sometimes we forget that Christ was a friend of sinners. He's a friend of sinners. Paul says, and I echo his thoughts, Paul says, of whom I am chief. 
And when you, when you think about this, when you think about what's happening here, and, and, and in the context, we know that there's a gathering, there seems to be like a, a, a party taking place at the home of Matthew, the tax collector, and we are, they are gathered there, and publicans and sinners are gathered to hear Jesus speak. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured and complained, saying, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. Oh, I praise God that uh, I've been witnessing here at this camp meeting. I've been witnessing here at this camp meeting. And by the way, by the way, I, I just want to share again with you that according to the Bible, how many have sinned? All. Oh, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are in need of Jesus. But what excites me is that we are able, by God's grace, to eat together. Would you say amen? You know, one of the greatest miracles that I, that I see taking place is and happening is God brings people who are vastly different in backgrounds, in temperaments, in disposition, and I'm talking about in personality. And somehow, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and where's my, oh, my, my dear pastor, um, Keith? No, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is able, in spite of all of that, in spite of all those differences, he is able to bring us together in unity. That's a miracle, folks. That's a miracle. Because only the Holy Spirit can do that. <laughs> only the Holy Spirit can, can, can allow a Samoan to come and preach here at Winlock Camp Meeting. <laughs> and talk about my past and talk about all this stuff that I used to be engaged in. And you guys are not like, you know, trying to hide your kids or something. You know what I mean? I mean, we're family, right? Whether we're right, whether we're white, black, Brown, yellow, red, it doesn't matter. We are all family. And if you read the final message in the book of Revelation chapter 14, my Bible tells me verse 6. And this gospel, well, let me go to Matthew 24 verse 14. And this gospel shall go to all the world as a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. Revelation 14 verse 6 says, And I saw an angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell upon the earth, unto every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. That means the gospel is going to go out to everyone. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, you know, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews tried to hoard it to themselves, and they had actually built walls between themselves and everyone else trying to shut everyone else out of the kingdom of God and keep themselves in. And beloved, I want to share with you that I, I hope and pray to God that we as an Adventist church don't make the same mistakes. If there's anything that we need to learn from the history of Israel and God's chosen people back then, according to the Bible, and we know that that has actually transitioned now over to spiritual Israel, according to Daniel chapter 9. But... I want to share with you that this gospel will go out to all the world. Isn't that good news, Kevin? Even the, guys like, even, even the guys like you and me. You know what? I, I enjoyed sitting with you and having lunch, and you were sharing with me that there's a lot of similarities in our stories. And yet, in spite of all of that, Kevin, here we are, by the grace of God, you and me. I'm Samoan. You're Caucasian. But we have similar backgrounds, and look at, look at what God has done for us. Amen? Amen? So regardless, <laughs> I'm so glad that God doesn't discriminate Amen. when it comes to the gospel and salvation. 
As I was sitting here listening to Miranda, I was, man, my heart was moved. I could sit here and listen to that all day. <laughs> I mean, really, literally, I can sit and listen to a young lady, a young man who are off in the mission fields, who are out in the front lines. You hear me, church? They're out in the front lines. They're, God is using them to impact other countries, other people groups. And she's right. The percentage of, of Muslims who, know, who have no Christian friends, shame on us. If, we, if, if there are Muslims and, 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 they're, they're, and, and, and Hindus and, Buddha, and, and Buddhists or whoever, they, we ought to be making friends, beloved. Notice what, notice what it says. Jesus says that the publicans and the sinners drew near to him. Are we, do we have Christ in us that much where he is actually attractive? <laughs> and people want to be around you. You know, one of the things that the Bible tells us in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, it says that we are both to be, we are both to be salt and light. Oh, I love to be the salt because whenever I get around people, they start to get thirsty. <laughs> I mean, do people, I mean, are people getting thirsty when they're around you and, and just, you know, being in your presence? They're like, man, this guy, and I'm not talking about salty the other way. Because salty also has a negative connotation when people say, oh, man, you're angry and you're losing your temper. You're salty. I'm not talking about that kind of salty. I'm talking about the salt of the earth. And salt is only good when it's mingled with something. Isn't that right, church? And so in order for us to have an impact, to have an impact on the community in which we live, we must mingle with the people. We must mingle with others. Or else the salt is... No good. It's useless. And then Jesus also says in that very same chapter that we are to be the light of the world. Now, I want you guys to notice something that one is, one is, one is seems like uh, very imperceptible, like you can't really detect it. So salt is that type of, that type of agent where it just goes in and, and it's not really, it's not really uh, propping itself up or trying to make itself known. It works imperceptibly. It works, you know, like it just mingles with people and you're just getting out and making friends. But light, Jesus says, you don't put it under a what? A bushel. But you put it on a lampstand and let that light shine throughout all the house. And so one seems to be like under the radar and, and, and you're working about and just moving about and working with people. The other one, shining out. And by the way, who are they giving all the glory to? They should be giving it to God. Let your, let your, let your works, let your, let your light so shine before men so that they may glorify who? Your Father in heaven. And so the, the, the darker the night, the brighter the light. I must ask you, are we living in dark times? Are we living in dark times, church? Yeah. In fact, Pastor Keith mentioned it this morning, and I'm going to also mention it. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the 60th chapter, Isaiah chapter 60. And please notice what the Bible says here. The prophet Isaiah chapter 60, beginning in verse 1. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. And notice what the Bible says. And if you're there, would you please say amen? amen. The Bible says, arise and do what? Shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. 
For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Beloved, I want to ask you, are we living in a dark world and has gross darkness overtaken the people? And so in the midst of all this darkness, God is calling upon us to what? Arise and do what, everybody? Shine. For thy light. Notice, we have, and thank you, Miranda, for making this very clear. In and in of ourselves, we have no light. <laughs> Our light comes from who? Comes from Jesus. Now, I want to I I point out something else to you. If you'll go with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and please notice what it says with me there, beginning in verse 1. Another one of those passages that has been covered by, by Pastor Keith. And, and you know, it's amazing because Pastor Keith and I have, not, have had no contact, none at all, prior to this camp meeting. We've had no contact, and yet it just seems as if the Holy Spirit has dovetailed all of our messages, and it all has been the same. Have you guys noticed that? And, and, and we didn't, you know, get together and compare notes. Again, that, that, is, that is evidence of the moving and the working of the Holy Spirit. When we have one mind, one purpose, one goal, one aim, and we're praying unitedly for revival and for the Holy Spirit to show up, and beloved, I want to share with you that I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit has indeed shown up here at Winlock Camp Meeting. He's made it very clear. And I hope that as you are, are, are catching all of this, that you will see how, how powerful the Holy Spirit is at work in bringing these messages together because we are working under one Holy Spirit. And I praise God. You know what? The Holy Spirit also does not discriminate. The Holy Spirit is available for everyone, for every man, woman, boy, and girl. There is no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. Amen? The Holy Spirit is available to all of us. And that same Holy Spirit that is operating outside in all these other countries and moving among people groups and reaching different people, that same Holy Spirit is available to us. And beloved, I pray that we would crave and yearn and long for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives more than anything. Please notice what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This know also, that in what days? That in the last days, perilous times shall come. Question, are we living in those days? Is it perilous? Okay. I want to share with you why Paul then calls this these last days perilous, and notice the list that he gives. What makes these times, these last days perilous? By the way, Paul is speaking here to the church. <laughs> this list that he's, he's going to give, he's describing the condition of the church. Now, what we like to do is we like to apply this passage of Scripture to those who are out in the world. But Paul is talking about the church. All right? Let's, I mean, I want you to notice what it says here. And notice the first thing on the list. 
By the way, you ought to check out all of the other lists that Paul puts together. They, he's basically saying and repeating the same thing, but notice what's the first thing on the, on the list. Please help me out, everyone. What does your Bible say? For men shall be what? Lovers of themselves. First on the list. Why do you think he, he has that first? Why? In the order of things, why does he have that men shall be lovers of their own selves? That's right. Because self. Self, that's right, Kevin. That's right. Self is the greatest enemy that we have to face every single day. Do you know what Ellen White says? That the greatest battle ever fought is the battle with self. How are you doing in that battle? <laughs> now, men shall be lovers of their own selves. You know that Lucifer's religion is self-religion, right? Self-worship. You guys do get that, right? Self-worship. <laughs> I, I, I want to I share with you that we live in a selfie generation. And if you're at the gym, <laughs> and what I don't get, what I don't get is when people want to see themselves twice and do it in a mirror. I mean, why on earth are you looking at a mirror and at the same time taking a selfie? Yeah, I, it, it baffles my mind. And then not only that, and I pray to God that none of the young ladies in this audience does it, but I know a lot of young ladies today, they like to <laughs> duck lips. Yeah, I have a teenager. She officially became a teenager in March, and now I'm in trouble. We live in a selfie generation. The first selfie that was ever taken was in heaven. You do know that, right? Where Lucifer got caught up with himself. Ezekiel chapter 28 says that he got caught up in his beauty, wisdom, brightness. And the sad thing about that is he attributed all of that to himself. That didn't come from him. Who gave it to him? Who blessed him with that? God. And I want to share with you that I have never seen. And, and again, I'm not getting on the young people. It's the older, it's, it's, let's, hey, let's, let's take some of the responsibility ourselves. Let's look at ourselves. I'm going to speak, I'm speaking now on a platform where I can actually give voice and help out our young people. Because oftentimes we're saying, all oh, these millennials, man, they don't want to listen, they don't want to do that. You know, they, they don't really want to go. I want to share with you that God is raising up in the millennials, God, uh, men and women that are going to be powerful and used by the Holy Spirit to spread the gospel. That's what I mean by the darker the night, the brighter the light, because we're living in the darkest of times. And guess what? God is raising up people to be bright lights in this time. <laughs> oh man, look at this list. I mean, that, that whole selfie thing. Now, please don't misunderstand. If you're, you know, taking a nice selfie and with, with people in the background and you're posting it on Facebook, you know, I'm, no, I'm not tripping on that. I'm not, you know, I, I, just, I just say, you know, that sometimes we need to be very careful when all of a sudden your whole Facebook page and Twitter page and Instagram page is filled with nothing but your selfie images. What does that say? 
that you're all about who? Yourself. <sighs> the list goes on. There's more to that. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, covetous boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. And I want to share that without natural affection, I think that there's two. There may, you guys might have more, but to me, there's two when it comes to without natural affection. Without natural affection, Paul speaks about over there in Romans chapter 1 how men are losing their natural affection for the, for, the, for, the, for the woman and vice versa. And now they're burning in their flesh towards the same, you know. And then the other, the other loss of natural affection is how on earth can we drive by and see, see somebody suffering on the side of the road. There's a great accident. And, in, and, and you know what? We get upset because it's causing traffic. When you don't know that somebody in that accident could have died. How about driving past or even saying a prayer as you're going by. And say, Lord, whatever is happening over here. I pray that you would be with this, these people. Because something might be terribly wrong. But no why is everybody looking over there and you're getting all upset and, you know, Lord have, <laughs> Lord have mercy. I want to share with you because we're losing our natural affection when it comes when, when people are hurting, when people are down. That has nothing to do with me. That's not my problem. That's not my issue. Let me ask you guys a question. How many, of, how many of us believe, and I just want to hear by you saying amen. How many of us believe that God is our father? Amen. Okay. All right. <laughs> you guys said a hearty amen. So that does, that does that also mean that there are other people out there that are also the children of God? Okay. So if that's the case, that means that we're all family, and how should we be treating our family? Right? Without natural, without natural affection. Truth breakers. You know, you make a vow. You make a promise. You make a truce, and you break it. False accusers, incontinent, that means without self-control, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of who? God. Do we see that today? Yeah. And then finally, this is how we know he's speaking to the church because... Verse 5 says it all. Having a form of what? Godliness. Having a form of godliness, but doing what? Denying the power thereof. So you know, if you're, if you're really reading, reading it in context, how are we denying the power? How are we, how are we having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof according to the context and what we read that list? Tell me out, church. 
Could it be? Yes, Topaz, I heard you say again. We're not asking for the Holy Spirit. That's right. That's right. Not surrendering all. Not surrendering all. Doing nothing. Doing nothing. <laughs> not believing. Not believing. Yes, absolutely. But, you know, if you read it according to the context, and all of those answers are right. You read it according to the context. There are too many people in the church who are practicing all those things right before verse 5. And yet, and yet, they come to church Sabbath after Sabbath, looking good, dressed in their Sabbath best, and yet, there are, some things, there, are, there are some things in this list that they are practicing and they don't think that there's anything wrong with it. And so they come to church and they have, they have the, externally on the outside, they look the part. <laughs> they sound, I mean, they, they talk a good talk. Because I'm going I'm to be very frank with you. One of the things that has found it, that has made, I mean, and this is something that's been I'm around for a long time, but do you know that there are a lot of people in our church today, in the Adventist church even, and even among ministers, which is very sad and heartbreaking, who are struggling with porn? Struggling with it. And, and yet, and yet, listen, Things on things on things on on television, um, things that they listen to again. And I heard it the other night again from my dear pastor that the enemy tries to come at us through our five senses, and we've got to guard. According to Ellen White, we've got to guard the five senses. They the five senses need to be sanctified. Even our imagination needs to be sanctified. So there are people who are struggling. There are people, there are people who, who, who play the part and who act the part, and yet everything at home is not, is not, is not all that it appears to be. People, people, people uh, argue and fight and fuss. I had, a counsel one couple, I had a counsel one couple that it broke my heart because they seemed to be the most and I hate labels. By the way, I hate labels. I don't, I don't like labels. I don't like when people, you know, try to, try to just, and I know that it is what it is. People want to say, you know, progressive, um, liberal, conservative, ultra-conservative, ultra-ultra-conservative. <laughs> Present truth. And this is one of the, this, this, listen, this is one of those couples Ultra-conservative? I mean, the way that they, the way that they, the way that they, they the health message, and, and again, I love it, and all this other stuff, I mean, and they were, they were just, like, it just seemed like everything was fine. Everything looks, I mean, looks good on the outside. Until their daughter shared my parents argue and fight every night and then show up at church and act like nothing is wrong at all. Now, please don't misunderstand. Folks, 
we know that there are things, we are all, we are all human, we are all, you know, that, and, and I like the way Pastor broke it down, either you're spiritual or you're natural or you're carnal, and I, sem- I, I definitely don't want to be um, walking in my natural man state, I definitely don't want to be in my carnal man state, I need the Holy Spirit in order to walk after the Spirit and not get caught up in the things of the flesh. This girl was heartbroken. She said, oh, pastor, don't, you know, don't, 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 don't buy what you see. She said they argue every night. They fight. Huh. They talk about, they, they, they talk about other church members. You know what I discovered? I discovered that the more you pray for people, you end up not talking about them. So instead of gossiping and talking and running your lips and running your, and in the hood, they said running your neck. Why don't you get on your knees and pray for people? Talk to God about them. Intercede. Because one thing that we're going to discover is that according to the book of Revelation, we are, we are told that Satan, the devil, is the accuser of the brethren. Jesus is an intercessor. And all of us in this room make a choice. Whether we're going to be accusers or intercessors, I want to be an intercessor with Jesus. The, dark, the, the darker the night, the brighter the light. God is calling upon us to shine as lights in this dark world. I want to share with you that before I you know, I, I, I really love whenever I see videos of search and rescue teams go in. And, and, and a lot of these guys that go in on these search and rescue teams, they don't know the, the people that, they don't know, many of the people they don't know personally. Now, sometimes that's not the case because if there's like a disaster in a small town, everyone knows everyone, right? And so you're, you got a search party, a search and rescue party going out and trying to find people who are probably... Um, covered up underneath a, a, a landslide or, or a building has collapsed or something, a terroristic act has taken place. But a lot of times these search and rescue teams don't know the individuals that they're looking for and yet they're risking their own lives to go in and look for people that might be covered in the rubble, in the dirt, and God is calling upon us to join his search and rescue team and go out and save people that are lost in darkness. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful. I praise God. I praise God that you sent a, a, a search party out for me. <laughs> and, and that's why I'm standing here before you today because, praise God, I've been found. But now, the, now God said, okay, Nehemiah, I'm going to send you out now, and I want you to be a part of my search and rescue team, and I want you to go and find people no matter where they are and share with them the good news that God is here to rescue and to save. Listen, these, these folks put, these folks Man, they, they, they do so much digging people out of the rubble, trying to find bodies, trying to find survivors, floods, all these disasters that take place, all these, you know, catastrophes that happen. And yet we have search and rescue teams and Christ is calling us to be a part of his search and rescue team, led and directed by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me let me let me finish up my. My testimony, I'm going to share some other testimonies. And 
As I share with you, God rescued me from that life of, of drugs and alcohol and gang banging and in and out, <laughs> you know, of the system. <sighs> and I want to share with you that, man, that was such a, that was, that was a tough time for me. It, it's not, not, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good ride at all. I mean, we got into some, I mean, I've lived through, I lived through some drive-bys, and I don't know why. You know, I'm just thinking, Pastor, as I, as I think about it and I look upon my life, I've lost two older brothers. My oldest brother was shot and killed in San Francisco by police officers in San Francisco. My second, my, my, another brother who was older than I was shot and killed in West Seattle. My older brother was a former drug dealer, and it was a, it was a gang hit. It was an initiation. A young man was sent to take his life as his initiation to join a gang. And so he had to take out somebody of the rival gang who was at the top of the food chain. And so he went, he went searching for my brother. And, and what, what's really sad and what breaks my heart is that my brother was getting ready to leave for Alaska the very next morning. He wanted to get out of that lifestyle. He told my mom and dad, he said, Mom and dad, I'm sick of, I'm sick of what I'm doing. Um, I want to get my kids back. I want, I, want to, I want to come back to the Lord. But... I need to get away from here. And he had planned, he had planned that day to leave the next morning for Alaska and go and work on the boats up there in Alaska. Well, guess what, folks? None of us ever plan to die. And so he went and visited a friend with my younger brother. And it was interesting because my younger brother said, you know what? He said, I don't know what happened. I don't know why. He said, I left my strap at the house. I left my gun at the house. I didn't take it with me that particular night. And so he and my, he and my older brother drove up to, meet, to, to visit a friend. And all of a sudden, out of, the shadows, out of the shadows comes this young man. And he simply asked my older brother, what is your name? And my older brother said his name. And he shot him point blank in the chest. My older brother stumbles to, he stumbles to, to, to the car. My younger brother, they both get in. And my, my older brother, knowing that he was going to die, said, Take me to the house. Even, with, even, as, even, as, you know, even as he was starting to lose his life, he said, take me to the house. He, my, my younger brother takes him to the house. And as, he, as he, my younger brother is screaming and he's carrying my older brother out of the car, out comes running his 13-year-old son. Now, I was in Hawaii at the time. And as I shared with you, I was running drugs from Washington, and I'm not very proud of this. I'm just saying I was running drugs from Washington through Oregon through California to Hawaii. I had young men that I had recruited, including a, nep- a, a cousin of mine that I'm going to show you on the screen who used to be a runner for me. And we were gathered up at this one house because I had, I had got, got all these guys now involved in the gang, involved in drug dealing. And we were all sitting there, and we were all just... Having a, having a good time. It was about 10 o'clock in the evening, and I just remember I got a phone call on my cell phone, and I looked at the number, and I said, wow, it's, uh, it's, it's my family from back home in Washington, but it was about 1 o'clock in the morning. And sure enough, when I answered the phone, my sister-in-law could barely get the words out. Your brother has been shot and killed. The reason why these types, and you know what, I don't know, 
Here's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that God holds my brother's case in his hands. Because one can't help but wonder if this will be a death that will be eternal. A death where he'll come up in the second resurrection. I don't know if you guys really think about this, but this is really a matter of eternal life and death, folks. Okay? This is a matter of eternal life and death. Now, what I'm thankful for is that my younger brother said that as my older brother was lying in the arms of my other brother, and my mom and my dad were around him, and every and his sons, I mean, just crying, and they said the, the last words my brother uttered was, I'm sorry. I flew back for the funeral. And all the, all the gang members, all the homies were there. <laughs> all the thugs. All my brothers, all my nephews, all my cousins. Like I said, I come from a very big family and we were all gathered there. And now it was time to take action and retaliate. And I remember sitting in that meeting and my other older brother, see that's what happens when you have 10 of us. There's <laughs> too many older brothers and I'm further on down the line, so I'm like second to the last. My other older brother, and I don't know where this came from. I want you guys to think now, we're all, we all have this violent men, men, uh, mindset. It's time to go out and find these guys and put them down. My older brother looks at me, pastor, and he says, Maya, you're going to sit this one out. Because God has a purpose and plan for your life. I said, man, what? Do you, what? Say again. He said, you're sitting this one out. Because God has a purpose and plan for your life. And you don't need to be a part of this anymore. He says, God has a purpose and plan for your life. Man, I got so upset. I was ready to throw blows with him in that meeting. I said, man, who are you to tell me? I said, this is our brother. And we're going to take care of this together. He said, no, you're not. He said, you're going to pack up your family and you're going to go back to Hawaii because God has a different purpose and plan for your life. And now I see Pastor Noel that he does and he did. And that's why I'm here. It was that moment. I returned to Hawaii. And there happened to be an evangelist by the name of Ron Halverson. Oh, yeah. Ron Halverson. And he shared his testimony from gangs to God. And that resonated with me so much, that related to me so much. That right then and there, I gave my heart to Jesus. Gave my heart to Jesus. Now, I want to share with you that after that, I became a lay evangelist. I actually, before that, I went to Los Angeles, like I shared with you. I became a Bible worker for an evangelist that was working out of California. And the first place that I worked in was in 
Watts and Compton and Carson and all these cities. We went to we went to all these neighborhoods that were filled with gangs and drug violence and, and drug dealing and all of this other stuff. And I said, man, Lord, you have a sense of humor. You saved me from this and now you're putting me here. And I want to share with you, as my pastor mentioned this morning, that we did several meetings out there and I was so blessed to see and witness with my own eyes. So many people come up at the appeal, lay down guns, lay down their flags, lay down the drugs. I've seen homosexuals turn straight. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen gangbangers give it up. I've seen drug dealers give it up. And then many of them, many of them now are, are, have been turned and released into their own communities as medical missionaries, as Bible workers, and some have even become pastors and evangelists themselves. And so there's no way that anyone can tell me that there isn't a God who is incapable of performing miracles. My God and your God is still able to do that today. My, my, my last portion of my ter- uh, testimony is this, is that I, I um, for several years, I basically spent my life on a plane. The Lord called me to evangelism, and I was traveling here and there. I started a school of the prophets over there in Hawaii at a camp called Waianae, and I was training these young men I was training these young men and, and pouring myself into them. You know, one of the things I love about Desire of Ages, it says that Christ poured himself into those 12 men. He discipled them. And so I was, I was working with these men, and these men come from different backgrounds, from different churches, some of, them, some of them from broken homes. And yet God was using that ragtag group to reach out into the community, to reach out into the community. And beloved, I want to share with you, as I, as I, before I finish up my portion of the testimony, I want to share with you that that very summer in the year 2000, after I had done the training during the summer for the young people, um, I praise God because one of the young people that was reached during that meeting was a, was a young man by the name of Taj Pakleb. Any of you guys know him? Okay. Taj Pakleb is, he was a young man that, at the age of 16, my two Bible workers went and knocked on his door, and I know them very well. I love these two brothers. Uh, one is Reynando Bibbit. Reynando Bibbit was, was a Filipino young man, same age as Taj, about 16, and he and Ben, and, and ben Orso, Reynando Bibbit could barely speak any English, and any English that he could speak, it was pidgin, so you had a hard time understanding both because he had a thick Filipino accent, and then he spoke pidgin on top of it. However, he and Ben went and knocked on Taj Pakleb's door one day, and the story is, is that they heard, they heard Hawaiian reggae music blaring from the home, and they can smell, they can smell uh, the weed coming out from the door. And when they knocked on his door, Taj Pakleb opened up, and praise God, they made a connection with him. He came to the meeting, and if, if I've ever saw the face of conviction, he had it. And he would come up every single night during the appeal as I was preaching the gospel and preaching my heart out. This young man would come up and he would walk up to the front of the altar and he would just plead with God, Lord, save me. I want to share with you. Oh, that's me preaching at that meeting. Praise God, I still look the same. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) Preaching at this meeting. And why not? And there were my Bible workers right behind me. Some of them 
Reynaldo Bibbit is this young man right here. This is Ben. These are the two Bible workers that found Taj. And you know what I praise God for? I praise God for the miracle that he performed because Taj is now an evangelist. He was, he was my Bible worker for, 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 for a while, and then he went on to a program called Souls. He went on to Souls. And then from there, he was hired on as the conference evangelist for the Central California Conference, for which he served 11 years. And now he is the, he is the speaker director of Revelation of Hope. Revelation of Hope speaks, right? Pastor, he's the, he's, the, he's the speaker and director. And wouldn't you know that this, through this one young man, God has been taking him all over the globe, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And as a result of that, many of them have responded and given their hearts to Jesus. It's not a waste of time. Out of the one. He's just a few, just a couple of years ago, he was at the Kirkland Church and I had a chance to catch up with him. <laughs> and it was, it, was a, it was a beautiful, wonderful reunion. You know, when I came back, uh, I just want to share with you what's, what's going to happen, but <sighs> this young man is really a blessing. Now, you see this young man right here? That young man right there is my cousin. And some of you may know him. His name is Ken, a.k.a. Mikey. Now, Ken or Mikey used to be a part of this group called Ruckus, and he was also one of the young men that I recruited very early on. I believe it was at the age of 14 when I recruited him into the gang and made him a runner. I want to share with you that after I gave my heart to Christ, this young man said, wow. He said, man, you're really leaving the gang? <laughs> you're really leaving the set, Nehemiah? He said, after you recruited all of us to be a part of it, and now you're bailing out? Let me share with you that God changed his life, and he became, he became one of my Bible workers as well. He was my lead Bible worker for a while. And all of you know him, and some of you may know him. Right now, I want to share with you that he is now the HR director for our Washington Conference. Would you say amen? amen. Yeah. <laughs> Once upon a time, a, a runner, a gang member, and now he's the HR director. Now, don't be calling him and say, Nehemiah, man, just threw you under the bus. <laughs> Please don't do that. Okay? Uh, listen, folks, th th these things are more powerful than any sermon that I could ever give. Do you know that you may not know the Bible, you may not know Scripture, you may not know any of that, but the greatest testimony, the greatest sermon that we could ever share is our testimony and our story of what God has done. This, this young man right here, Lenny, used to be a part of the UH football team. Was able to minister to him, and through our music ministry in Hawaii, he also... Came, he also became a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. And now he's working with our youth in Des Moines. Um, I praise God. By the way, these are my two other. This is, my, this is the, the younger brother I told you about that was with my older brother that got shot. He just got out of prison. 
His nickname is Tank. <laughs> Doesn't he look like one? His nickname is Tank. He spent several years in prison, just got out. I love him to death. I'm praying for him. I ask that you would pray for him. This guy on the, on the left of him is my first cousin, Yeti. He also was a part of the gang. And man, I'll tell you, if I, I don't want to share too much. I don't want to give you, I don't want to give up all the dirt on these guys. We're not looking for dirt. We're looking for gold. <laughs> but I want to share with you that all three of us here, we're all in the same gang. You know where my cousin is at now? He's just about done with seminary at Andrews University to become a pastor. And we just laugh now. You? <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> Daniel Williams, I'm not going to spend too much time, much longer, because there you see Taj doing his wedding. But Daniel Williams was a young man that was in my early teen class when I used to teach the early teens. <laughs> he was shy. He was timid. Man, I mean, you couldn't get a peep out of him. He then became um, a Bible worker of mine, and I praise God that he's also a lay evangelist now in Hawaii, and he's been preaching the gospel. Would you say amen? amen. I praise God for that. Um, that's his beautiful wife there, along with my beautiful wife. Praise God for beautiful wives. <laughs> praise God. You know what? All of us in here, all the men, you ought to be thankful for your wives. Would you say amen? amen. Come on now. I mean, whoo. Now, you guys might be saying, well, where are, the, where are the sisters at? Where are the ladies? Jenny Allen is an interesting um, case because we were doing a, I, was doing a, I was doing a meeting on the, on the uh, north shore of Hawaii. You know where Laia is. You know where, where the Polynesian Culture Center is at. For those of you who have been to Hawaii, that's like little, that's like little Utah. It's a Mormon town. I was pastoring in that Mormon town. And I want to share with you that I want to share with you that, man, I, I, you know what? I invited the Mormons to come into my house whenever they wanted to come in. I said, hey, come on in. Let's study, let's study the word of God. Let's, study, let's get together. And she was living out there along the North Shore. Taj was one of the Bible workers that actually knocked on her door and invited her to the meeting. She came to the meeting, and she heard the gospel, and she accepted the gospel. Praise God. She invited her parents and her siblings. They, too, accepted the gospel and were baptized in those meetings. Listen carefully to what I'm going to share with you about this. She then married a guy by the name of Wyatt Allen. Now, for those of you who don't know, Wyatt Allen spent years in prison. He spent years in prison. Are you guys catching this theme? <laughs> somebody, somebody. Oh, Lord have mercy. He is now, he is now an evangelist for Amazing Facts. And he has a book out called The Least of These, where he tells his personal testimony of when he was in prison. Wow. And she married him, and, they, and now that, that's their little one. That's their little one. They have, they have two more. Okay, thank you. Let me close it up. And so they did meetings for us, and now that's, my, that's my brother. Uh, one of my cousins, actually, Edward, used to be a part of a gang in L.A., and now he's, he's uh, part of a, a musical group that is singing for the Lord. Let me just close with this. Um, let me ask real quick, Pastor John and, and Madison, can you guys just give me a little bit of grace right here? Okay, thank you. Is it all right, folks, if I close with, with my personal testimony on this? Amen. So let me share this with you. 
after, after, after Taj and, and, and a lot of the other stuff that was happening, I was, traveling, I was traveling about doing evangelism, and I want to share with you, my, my mine is a cautionary tale as well. Because while I was riding high, and while I was spiritually, I mean, the Lord was taking me places I'd never been. The Lord was using me like I've never been used before. And I was preaching the gospel. I was pouring out my heart. I was sharing my story. And at the same time, at the same time, though, folks, there was something that was, that was happening behind the scenes that wasn't right. And as a result, and I want to share this with you right now, that no matter how much God is using you, never, ever, ever lose, lose uh, connection with the source. Because, I, because God had, and I'm just saying this, and I say this with, with humility. God had blessed me with a memory for scripture and a memory for spirit of prophecy. And so what happened is I remembered, I, I, I memorized and internalized all of the things I was teaching. I was able to teach it without slides. I was able to teach it just from the word of God. I was able to just go tell people, go here, go there, go there, go there. But what happened as a, what happened as a result of that is now I, I began to lean on my own, on myself. And I was no longer getting into the word of God for myself. I found myself spending less and less time in prayer. I found myself now trying to put myself out there instead of God. And as a result of that, the devil came along and tripped me up. And I fell from grace. And I want to tell you that it was a long, hard fall. And what started off, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad at first. I started, I started, I started go, um, going back to things that I knew I shouldn't have been engaged and involving myself in. And before you know it, the devil took me for a ride and took me out. Beloved, I want to share with you that in 2004, I left the church. I left God. I left everything. Turned my back on God. Turned my back on everything. Turned my back on family. Left the ministry. And during, that, during those six, seven years, those were the darkest, some of the darkest moments of my life. But I praise God. I praise God. I have a message called the prodigal preacher. <laughs> I'm not going to share all of it with you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I got to close it up. But listen to this. Candace and I, my wife, Lala was a little infant at the time. I got back here to Seattle, Washington with them. I got back into the game. I went back into drug dealing. I went back into the world. And I want to share with you that things got so hectic and so dangerous. My wife said, honey, we can't, we can't live like this. You've got to give that up. You've got to let go of that. You've, we've got to do it some other way, but we can't live like this. It's too dangerous. You're going you're gonna to end up either dead or in prison. And I knew she was telling the truth. So I stepped out of that. But you know what? I didn't really know how to find work and other things to do. And as a result of that, we survived for a little while. But then all of a sudden, we got evicted from our place in federal way. I found myself, I found myself homeless with a wife and a little baby girl. We were on the street. And I was too proud to call upon any of my family members for help. But my mom was praying. And I want to tell you that there's nothing more powerful to me than a mama's prayers. Yes. And she was praying for this wayward son of hers, this prodigal preacher. 
And that brother of mine that I showed you, Tank, I don't know how it was, but he found me. And he said, my, he said, man, mom has, been, mom has been praying for you. Mom has been crying for you. She said that you need to come back home. She said, come on, bro. He said, man, why, why are you trying to be stubborn and hard-headed? Come on. So I swallowed my pride and I went home. My older brother said, okay, you guys can come and stay with us. My mom was living there. And, and then finally, after some time, I got back on my feet. I was able to land a job with the city. I was able to land a job with the city of Seattle. And then my wife and I were able, we saved up enough money where we, could, we were able to move out and live on our own. And then my, my mom said, okay, she told my older brother, I want to go and stay with Maya and his wife Candace and their daughter. I said, wow, okay. So she came and lived with us. And she spent the last three years of her life with us. And the whole time she was there, she was praying. She drove me nuts because she wanted to have worship every morning and every night. I didn't want to have anything to do with God, but my mom would sing songs and then my wife would say, hey, mom's singing. We need to go and join her for worship. And I reluctantly went. Sometimes I didn't go. I just want to say that it was because of my mama's prayers. And do you know that God, even at Seattle City Light, I was trying to, I was trying to immerse myself in work and forget about God. But you know that, that text in Psalm where it says that no matter where you go, my spirit is there? On the job, there was a 19-year-old kid by the name of Dion Johnson. I should have put his face up here. I introduced myself to all the crew. I said, I'm Nehemiah. And everybody introduced himself. Dion comes up to me. He shakes my hand. He says, Nehemiah, it's nice to meet you. I'm Dion. And around here, brother, it's all about Jesus. I said, get away from me. Man, he said, it's all about Jesus. And then... My crew chief put me in a truck with that young man for several months <laughs> to go to and from the job site. And you know, every single time we would get in the same truck, I said, man, I'm just sitting there like, you know, just looking out the window. And we pull up at the job site. And he says, I hope you don't mind. But I'd like to have a word of prayer. Thank you, Madison. And you know what's, you know what's crazy is this young man. In the excavation, he started dropping object lessons. Just driving me nuts. He said, Nehemiah, he said, you see that ladder right there? That's Jesus. There's only one way in and only one way out. And Jesus is the only way. Then when he was jackhammering the street, he was like, Lord, break up the fallow ground of my heart. Then he said, look at these conduits, Nehemiah. You see that, that power cable that we put through those conduits? He said, we got to always make sure that there's no blockage, there's no obstruction, there's nothing in the way. He said, that's just like our heart when we need the Holy Spirit. After that, years, years after that, after when I came back and gave my heart to Jesus, I told this young man the story of how he impacted my life. And praise be to God, in 2010, after my mother, after, shortly after my mother passed away, both my wife and I, I was rebaptized, she was baptized in 2010. And now I'm here sharing the gospel with you. Amen. Let me share something with you in closing. The devil took me, and he was aiming for the trash can. 
and he threw me, and I ended up in the recycle bin. <laughs> I'm a recycled preacher. But do you know what they call some of those recycle centers? Redemption. Look it up. Some of the recycle centers are called redemption centers. I praise God. <laughs> He's good. My time is gone. Thank you for the grace. Let me have a word of prayer with you. Father in heaven, Lord, we just want to praise you and thank you for your love for us. And Lord, I just pray that those who have heard my testimony, Lord, and I didn't, Lord, that they will come away with it that no matter what our situation, Lord, no matter how much we, we may struggle and fall, and even sometimes, Lord, relapse, we're so thankful that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We're so thankful for the Holy Spirit who moves and, woo and, woos, upon, and woos our hearts, Lord. You know, I read in, in Christ's Object Lessons when it talks about the story of the prodigal son, it, she mentions that God put in motion Ways to bring the son back. <laughs> Lord, thank you for setting in motion ways to win our hearts. I want to give you all the praise, all the glory in Jesus name. And let everyone say, Amen. Amen. Amen.